And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Mary Joyce, who has worked for two major metropolitan newspapers, is a writer of books and magazine articles, and is currently the editor and researcher of SkyShipsOverCashiers.com. Her new book is Spy in the Sky, Secret Cover-Ups of Earth and Beyond. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome. Thank you. Good to see you. Likewise. Um, I know that a lot of your readers um, get to, or listeners get to hear a lot about books from different people. And I want to assure people this one doesn't fit into our normal category. It is a picture book for adults. Mm -hmm. And there are photos on every page except for three. And so even people who don't like to read, but who like to learn things, uh, will find this book uh, very, very interesting. And it is just packed with uh, satellite photos of what uh, secrets and cover-ups on Mars, on the moon, down in our oceans, um, Antarctica, and around our sun, and out in deep space. And uh, uh, the, like I said, the pictures are almost all in full color. And I give the coordinates so that anybody who has Google Earth can go and find these things for themselves. And the reason that I do that is because there's too many people that like to um, get their kicks out of using Photoshop and creating things that aren't real. And when you can have the coordinates and check these things out to prove to yourself they're there, uh, I think that's very helpful today. I think that's great because I'm even guilty of just looking at a picture and thinking, oh, this is probably Photoshop. And I think we're all to that level now because it just happens so much. And I have to, like, I found this great picture of something on Mars and it looked really convincing. It looked like maybe there were some old hieroglyphs on a piece of rock. I finally went back to the original NASA photo and those hieroglyphs were not there. Somebody had very skillfully created this uh, piece of unreality. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that these guys don't get their tricks past you. So you were in the newspaper business. How did you go from that into the paranormal? Um, I, I'm old enough to have done a lot of different things. That was one of the things I've done. Um, I used to live at one time uh, in Florida between Patrick Air Force Base and the Kennedy Space Center. And I got to meet a lot of NASA people there and one of the astronauts and got to see UFOs down there and just learned a whole lot and my interest uh, was triggered from that. And then when I moved to the mountains of North Carolina, I didn't know it, but I jumped into, into a hotbed of uh, activity. Not only do we have UFOs, we have underground bases, we have Bigfoot, we have Cherokee little people. Um, so I've done all sorts of things because of where I live. I just couldn't believe that all this uh, phenomenal stuff was happening right in, in my back door, so to speak. Of the things that you said, what have you personally witnessed? Um, I've seen um, evidence of the little people. Um, I've talked to all the original witnesses who uh, discovered the little people when they were doing early construction at Western Carolina University. And they found uh, little skeleton, uh, skeletons, and there was one skull that looked like a child's skull but it had all its wisdom teeth and you have to be 18, 19, 20 years old before you get wisdom teeth. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, I've done in very involved things with the Bigfoot activity in this area. Um, so I've written a book about that. It's called Bigfoot um, Beyond the Footprints. I've written one on the little people. Um, Cherokee little people were real. Uh, that book I wrote because nobody had recorded the information from these people who had been the initial uh, finders of these tunnels and skeletons. And they were all old timers. And I wanted to record that information before they passed away. And it's a good thing I did because nobody else had recorded their information anywhere. I have another reason to bring you back because we can do another podcast on the Cherokee little people and Bigfoot. They're two very interesting topics. Mm -hmm. So, but anyhow, I guess I should go back to the, the original book for tonight. Yeah. And, um, uh, um, uh, I'll give you some examples of some of the things I've found on Mars. Uh, I have found three UFOs that are uh, two that crashed and you can see the long crash mark. One, one of the crash marks, uh, uh, the streaks goes over 4,400 feet mm -hmm. or 44. Yeah. 4,400 feet. And then it crashes into the uh, soil of Mars. Uh, there's another one that you can see where it crashed in. And the third one is actually parked on the planet. And you can see the shadow and it's round. And if I remember correctly, it's like four miles across or three and a half miles across in, or in diameter. And it has a, a raised center in the uh, middle of it. It looks like some of the UFOs we see from Earth, uh, except this one's really enormous. All right, I'm going to put up a picture here and you tell us what's going on in the picture. Okay, this is a, a crash landing on Mars, and it's a, a circular UFO that has skidded about uh, 4,400 feet before it actually crashes into the soil of Mars. And um, just the fact that it's um, about three and a half miles across is really uh, indicative of how big it is. Uh, it looks like it was coming in at such a fast speed that maybe heat was generated because you can see real bright yellow orange uh, streaks across the top of it and there's also something that looks like a reflection off the back of it so uh, this was a, a rather dramatic uh, landing on mars would you say that the back end you're calling it a reflection but there's like a back end that looks to me black and so maybe the majority of the ship is covered in dust or dirt and that's why it's yellow there's something that's causing that to have the yellow streaks, and it has to be somehow uh, caused by some kind of heat. And maybe it's the dust that's, you know, causing it, causing friction. Um, I really do not know, but that's what it looks like. So are you implying that this is a photo of the crash in action? Uh, it's a photo of the crash as it's ended. Because you can see where it's plowed into the soil. That's amazing. Amazing timing. Yes, you can't always get stuff like that. Another thing that um, um, I found there that I found very, very fascinating and was very surprised, there were there are 27 entrances, like warehouse entrances, into Mars that are all in a line that are spread out over 16 miles. And these look contemporary. And they range in round figures from a width of 400 feet to a width of 1,000 feet. And um, even though they look pretty much the same, when I've zeroed in on those entrances, 
the detail around the edges will vary from one to the other. So you're not just seeing the same thing repeated, even though you might think so at first glance. And um, so I show you detailed pictures of those entranceways. One of the things that I have um, in the book, just before I show those entrances, uh, is a statement by um, Dr. Hyman Ashid, and he was in charge of Israeli space security for nearly 30 years. And he decided to go public with some of the stuff that he knew. And in December of uh, 2020, he made a statement or um, in the Jerusalem Post, which is a well-respected Israeli newspaper, that, um, well, let me get it. Let me quote it for you exactly. Now, is this the, the whole statement? Uh, the sorry. whole statements in the the whole statements in the book, but there's two parts of it that I I think are worth reading. One is there's an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments here. They too are researching and trying to understand the whole fabric of the universe, and they want us as helpers. That's one statement, and the other one is just a sentence. There's an underground base in the depths of Mars where the aliens are and also our American astronauts. So I have that complete statement in the book. It precedes uh, these um, uh, entranceways, which, by the way, I discovered quite by accident. Normally, when you use Google Earth to search for something, you go from right to left or left to right. And I decided one day to start searching the planet from North to South Pole. That's when I discovered that these entrances were all in a line. I'd seen entrances before, but I had no idea that there was that many and that they were lined up the way they are. And if I hadn't tipped things and kind of gotten out of the box of my normal thinking, I probably never would have discovered that. So you're saying that you used Google Earth to look at Mars, it's right? It's a wonderful tool that anybody can use. When did they put Mars images up there and, and how did they get those? You can get Mars and you get the moon and you can get the Earth. It's amazing. And I don't know when they did it. When I started doing the exploring, it was there. Hmm. And when you go to Google Earth, there's a little logo and they use Saturn because it clearly looks like a, a unique planet. And when you click on that, then you can pick whichever uh, orb in the sky you want to explore. Do you think that these images were created by satellites around Mars? Oh, yes. It's not from the yes, Mars rover or whatever. No, we're talking about satellites that circulate, cir you know, go around the Earth or around the moon or go mm. around um, uh, Mars. Mm. And no, it's not. Um, it's not the rover. The rover's too close to the to the to the ground. It's amazing that you said that because I recently had a guest who said that, uh, you know, he worked on Mars, basically. So this guy is That's confirming becoming that. more and more believable. When you discover things like this, it is truly becoming more believable. And the, these people that have stepped forward saying that they spent, uh, uh, I think it's famous, 20 years and back from Mars, mm -hmm. um, they were just laughed at at first. But um, the more that I personally have been discovering on Mars... Uh, the more I believe that is probably uh, could very well be the case. Now, how are you getting all these measurements? Are, is that within Google Earth that you can yes, see Yes, it that? is. They have a measuring tool. And so you can go from one point to the other, and it will give it to you in whatever measurement you want. Kilometers, inches, feet, miles, you pick whatever you want, and it'll tell you exactly what it is. And so the streak that you saw in the earlier picture behind mm -hmm. 
the crash satellite, um, there's a yellow line there. And that is created um, by on Google Earth. And I know exactly how long that is. And so how long is that crash site? I have the exact figure in the book, but it's around 4,400 uh, feet or 4,400 feet in length. 4,004. So a little bit less than a mile. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump around on you a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, in 2013, I was contacted by a man who lives in the Netherlands. And he had taken NASA photos, which I have in the in the book, mm -hmm. but he had used filters to get rid of the debris uh, that, that clouds the pictures. And he zoomed in on these images. And when he did, um, they were enormous. Not only were they enormous, but there was incredible detail. Um, I should stick with the size first. All of the images around the sun that I have in the book are bigger than Jupiter, which is our largest planet. Some of them are, there's one that looks like an extension rod. It goes out like this. Mm -hmm. And it uh, is way beyond the diameter of the sun. And the, the diameter of the sun is well over 800,000 miles across. So if you have something extending beyond the, the width of the sun, we're talking something truly, truly huge. We found two things that look like we called them um, one, the Flying Phoenix Hotel, another one we called the Flying Isis Hotel, because they look like they have, they have a wing structure like like this, um, but they look like giant flying condominiums, and you can see the structure to them. And again, they're just monstrous. And I, uh, these is, have never been published anywhere except on the Skyships Over Cashers website and in my book, uh, which is Spy on the Sky. Recently, I saw an article, and the article was talking about that there's a possibility that there is a wormhole or something either within the sun or next to the sun, and they were showing things coming out of the sun, and maybe perhaps one of these ships is that. Have you seen that article? Uh, not specifically, no, but I know that uh, that is one of the thing, one of the theories that people have. Um, there's one picture that made the internet uh, a long time ago, and it's this ball-shaped UFO, but it has like an umbilical cord connected to the sun, and it stayed in that position, seems like it was over 70 hours um, before it disconnected, and it was like it was draining energy from the sun, perhaps as a fuel source. Mm. So there's a lot. These, these, these uh, craft. Uh, they have technology way beyond anything we have because anything a man would make um, would melt if it was that close to the right. sun. And these things do not melt. Talking about a mothership, that could really be a mothership because that sounds like it could right. carry. When we see motherships that we see right from Earth, we don't know what we're talking about because the things around the sun are way bigger than a, any mothership that we've probably ever considered before. I believe in your book, you have a Google Earth picture of what appears to be an airstrip or an airport underwater. Can we talk about oh, that? Oh, this is another thing that really surprised me. Um, I ended up um, finding things beneath the ocean uh, from Alaska down to the Baja Peninsula that are very, very ancient, all of them. The, you mentioned the one that I personally find the most intriguing. It 
looks like an airport runway system. And in the book, I have not only that picture, which is again, a satellite picture. I also have a picture of the Spokane uh, airport and you can see exactly how similar they are, except for one crucial difference. The longest airport in the world today is just slightly more than three miles in length. This underground runway is 89 miles in length. So whatever was using that, um, they must have been really big. Hmm. That's amazing. To me, what? this is one of the things that begins to support the idea that the lost continent of Lemuria or Mu, uh, which supposedly sunk in the uh, Pacific Ocean, in prehistoric times mm -hmm. must have been real. And these may very well be remnants from a culture like that. And when I read the old mythology about some of that, that comes from people who live on, let's say the islands of um, Micronesia, um, they describe giants flying in uh, from the Pleiades and landing on this continent, which was once above water, uh, which is known as Mu or Lemuria. And so if they indeed were giants, they might've had very large craft, which might explain why there is such a very large runway under the ocean. Would you consider these things on Google Earth more secrets or mysteries or both? Um, I use, in the full title of the book is Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups, you know, um, anyhow, and this is just information that anybody can find if they're persistent enough. Some of these things has taken me years to find all this stuff. It's not something you just, you know, turn on the switch and you're going to find these things. It takes a lot of searching. Um, and with that, I forgot your question. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I was just saying that, would you consider these things on earth more secrets or mysteries? Or is that kind of really saying the same thing? Okay. The things that are found under the ocean, I would consider just things that are not known. When I get to Antarctica, I've had evidence that those are things they want to have kept from us. And the reason I say that is that I have posted some of these things on the website, and as soon within a day sometimes of them getting posted, they are taken off of Google Earth, or they've been, I'll give you a specific example. Um, I found two entrances into Mars. The largest one was 300 feet across and 100 feet high. When I discovered that, the very next day, it looked like somebody had taken a bottle of ink and poured it all over that, and all we had was a big blob. This began to be covered up in steps. That was the first step. The second step, I zoomed back, and there was a second entrance. And they had blotted out both of them, but one had printed on the satellite imagery, hollow earth entrance one, hollow earth entrance two. Wow. Well, that only lasted for a little bit. And eventually they turned the whole thing into an ice field and you would never have guessed it was ever there. So there is a key on your uh, key, computer keyboard uh, where you can print the page. So whenever I find something like that, I print it and save it immediately. And um, if anybody starts exploring on their own, I suggest they do that because um, like the things in Antarctica, they, they, the famous they, don't really want us to know about. 
Uh, I suspect that that one entrance, the one that's 300 feet across, is probably an active entrance right now. And so they don't want any attention drawn to it. Another evidence of a cover-up in Antarctica is that there are ancient cities emerging from the melting ice. The ice is melting very rapidly down there. And a year ago, last September, we found the first city emerging from the ice. And um, you can see the, the wall structure of, of, of a city. And but the, the the city itself takes an organic shape, you know, like our cities spread out along rivers or they follow the uh, terrain of a hill. Um, these cities that are emerging from Antarctica are the same thing. When I've discovered, when we've discovered, because somebody else helped me out on that one, um, when we've discovered these, they will suddenly get blurred so that you can't see them anymore. So for some reason, they don't want that known either. So that is evidence that I have found that they are, the famous they are covering things up deliberately. Um, so that's what I mean by the cover-up part of this. I found evidence of cover-ups on Mars too. Again, I have the before and after pictures when they have messed with them. I believe there's a photo from Google Earth of Antarctica that looks like a crashed spaceship that kind of circulated for a while. Have you seen that one? Uh, yeah, and and I include that one in the book. Hmm. And it does look like that. You can see a portion of it. It's like it's still under under a rock or some kind of terrain. Are the majority of the photos in your book found by you or people saying, hey, check this out? Most of them I have found. And I, 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 will, I don't sit here all the time on my computer searching for these things, but I will take time with some regularity to explore a certain part of Mars or to explore Antarctica or, um, or explore the moon. Um, and every once in a while I get lucky. How long does it take you to find something? Days, months, years? Part of it's just, I mean, some of these things, for example, I, I'll go back to Mars now. Um, I found what I call a habitat uh, on Mars that was up in the northern hemisphere. Um, by habitat, I mean a self-contained structure where people could live in an alien environment. Um, and it was 700 feet in length. Five years after that, I'm exploring the southern hemisphere and found another one that looked very similar, except it was almost exactly 10 times bigger. It was 7,000 feet in length. So that part of this is like just continually to go back and find these things because the whole story appears <clears throat> over time. Why haven't they covered these up in the first place? I would assume they know all this stuff is there. Um, first of all, I don't think they can black out everything on Mars. And some of the things I found on Mars, they do black out. Um, these two habitats um, are a little bit blurry. So if you're just casually going across the planet, you're not going to see them. But you just slow down and look at it. And it very clearly is, is a deliberate construction of a contemporary nature, not ancient. So after finding all these photos and these places on Google Earth and Google Mars, 
How did that change your overall outlook and your point of view of UFOs and aliens and what's going on? I think it's um, it's convincing to me that we are involved with the ETs. There's other reasons I think that too that have nothing to do with this book, but um, I think that's significant. We, our government is working with some race of ETs. Um, that's that's a biggie. It's a real biggie. How did you come up with the website name Sky Ships Over Cashiers? When um, we began to see so many UFOs over a mountaintop town that has the strange name of Cashiers, which oh, is still okay. just like a cashier at the at the grocery store. Right. And we were seeing so many that we started the website just with that in mind. Of course, the website's grown way beyond that. We're covering all sorts of subjects now. So if I had known, if I could have seen further into the future, I probably would have picked a different name for the website. But you can't change the name when you're already flying. It just doesn't work. In your book, what do you think is the most shocking picture for you personally? Initial, nothing shocking now, but initially, the extent of development on Mars, because there's a lot more than what I've mentioned, and the enormity of the UFOs that are flying around the sun. Uh, those are the two things that stand out in a big, big way. And of course, generally, just the way that the government um, is choosing to cover things up on Mars, on the moon, um, and in Antarctica. Do you study? astronomy much mm, i took an astronomy class in college which was a very long time ago i'm not a, uh, i don't have any equipment i don't i'm not a big astronomy person and the reason i ask is because this guest that i had previously that um claimed to work in space said that jupiter is a failed star hmm and I looked that up, and it's true. It's, it is a failed star. It is, I guess, a gas planet. And what I read online, it never converted the, enough hydrogen over to helium. And so that's, I guess, the way it is now. But according to him also, he believes there's cracks in time-space or something like wormholes around Jupiter. I was just curious if you had heard anything or knew anything about that. You're actually telling me something I don't know. Hmm. Now, I'm familiar with wormholes. But specifically related to Jupiter, no, I'm not. If there is one around the sun or, you know, involved with the sun, then it kind of would make sense that something could possibly work with Jupiter as well. When spaceships come in from great distances, they are, I, I, I have just always envisioned that they like get into this tube and they go like this to get someplace. And then they'll slow down when they approach the planet they want to land on. Um, I guess that would fall into the category of wormholes. Yeah, because I think light speed is not fast enough. No, no, it isn't for some of these things. What have you found on our moon? What I personally have found using Google Earth, much to my surprise, is a white pyramid that's uh, 28 feet longer than a football field on each side, which is fairly good size. It's white, and surprisingly, it's on the side of the moon that faces Earth. I was shocked at finding this because NASA has gone to great lengths to airbrush out things that have been found on the far side of the moon. And uh, one of the pictures that I have in the book is one of the NASA slides. And it, you can actually see the brush strokes 
where they have um, airbrushed over two tall towers on on the planet or on Mars uh, on the moon, and it 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 there's type around the uh, the the slide, and it actually I don't have the words in front of me, but it actually says uh, that it's been um, uh, changed. It, you know, in their technical words, it talks about how it's been blocked out. Um, I also in the book have a copy of an interview by a woman uh, who was a NASA photographer or uh, she worked in the photo lab. Uh, she got many awards for the work that she did for NASA, was very well respected, had some kind of you know high security clearance. And in 1995, she went on the radio in Washington, D.C. and said that NASA had been airbrushing out thousands of uh, pictures of the moon and um, you know the the whole interview is there mm. and she said one of the things that kind of stood out in my mind was she had another office at another location and one of the people that she had worked with at NASA came in he had a great big gash on his head and he one of his jobs was to burn some of these pictures UFO pictures from Mars, or I'm sorry, I got Mars on the brain, uh, on the moon. And he took a little extra time to look at one of these photos and the guard that was guarding him hit him over the head and knocked him out with a uh, rifle butt uh, because he was simply supposed to burn that stuff and not take time to look at it. And so she told that story and it kind of stuck in my head. Another thing that stuck in my head is she said, uh, she knew uh, somebody who had, uh, you know, was involved with the astronaut program. And they said that every single flight to the moon had been followed by a UFO. So that was another one of her statements uh, that uh, has stuck with me. Do you think she was a disgruntled employee and decided to just start leaking stuff? She never has struck me as a disgruntled person. I think she's one of those people that just believes that uh, all this stuff shouldn't be hidden from everybody. I mean, I also interviewed uh, in person a man that uh, uh, I met who was an astronaut, and uh, he felt very, very strongly that the public had a right to know more than NASA was letting them know. And his name was Clark McClellan. He's no longer living, uh, but I got to meet him, you know, long time ago. And one of his jobs was to be at mission control in uh, at the Kennedy Space Center, and he was monitoring the screens, and he saw two of our astronauts in the open bay of the shuttle talking to about an eight or nine foot ET that was also in a uh, some kind of space garb, and you could see where the ET's uh, vehicle was parked at the end of the uh, space shuttle, and uh, uh, he talked too much about that and he lost his job and he was blackballed and he couldn't get any good job. I think he ended up being a bus driver or some, some such thing. Wow. Um, and he lost all of his pension. He lost, you know, he, he died without much money because uh, uh, in NASA's view, he talked too much. This astronaut also, uh, again, Clark McClellan, he was a friend of uh, Werner von Braun. And the two of them, when they would um, get together at conferences um, at one of the hotels on Florida's beach, uh, they would take time 
to go out to the beach where they'd be away from people and sit on lounge chairs either there or around the pool so they could just talk about the things that they both shared an interest in. Uh, and they both were interested in astronomy and uh, life beyond Earth. And um, they were both engineers. And he told Clark uh, quite a few things. And one of them, which for some reason is coming to mind right now, is that uh, uh, Hitler had uh, his Shangri-La built in Antarctica and that that was a very real thing. He also uh, uh, said back in the, this would have been the 60s, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, he had said that uh, uh, we would discover uh, that there is life on Mars at that time we hadn't. At that time, we had no way of viewing Mars, and yet he predicted that that would happen. And uh, that was just an interesting friendship that the two of them developed. It's amazing that you say that because I keep referring back to this guest that I had, and he said that the Germans had figured out anti-gravity around the time of World War II. I guess they weren't able to kind of develop it into weapons or anything, but that's kind of really where this, where our involvement with ETs began. Von Braun told Clark, the astronaut, that um, they got their knowledge from um, ETs from I'm going to see if I can say this right, Aldebaran. Um, and that's where they got the knowledge to do this. Uh, also that the, um, back in 1952, there was a huge, uh, I think multiple sightings of multiple UFOs flying right over the Capitol in Washington. And uh, those were craft that were of Nazi origin. Well, there's the famous story that, you know, the, UFOs made a deal with Eisenhower, and I think those UFOs flew over the Capitol. Is that the same picture that you're referring to, or is that something different? This was in 1952. I guess uh, Eisenhower would have been president there, if I've got my history right. And uh, yes, it would be the same. Do you know, or do you have any information about anti-gravity and how it works? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know well, I know it's it's a push pull kind of thing. And they will they it's electromagnet I mean it's uh, magnetic uh, energy and they'll use a repulsion type of thing to uh, um, elevate. But I'm far from I am not a good person to try to explain that. I'm sure you probably know of Bob Lazar's story. Yes, I I'm what do you think about his? I think he's you know. telling the truth. I do. Uh, there's another interesting man I met a, a bunch of years ago, uh, Charles Hall, and he did a, a, a series of books based on his experience uh, being a weatherman out in um, Nevada. And he uh, wrote about the what they call the, uh, the tall white aliens. And because he was in a remote section, um, he got to to you know interact with these beings, um, so there's there's a lot going on, and a lot of people know a lot more than we think they know. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a humorous story of his. Um, the the female tall white aliens uh, liked it 
when he would get them Sears robot catalogs <laughs> so that they could look through them and they would show him what they would like. And their big joy was to try to um, get go into Las Vegas and get away with it. And they would, as much as possible, try to blend in uh, with human beings. Um, and they don't look all that much like us, so it would have been a challenge. But in Las Vegas, there's so many... So many people that were, um, I'd say, different that they uh, could get away with it. But I thought it was kind of humorous that uh, that's something that they wanted to do. Do you think that there are aliens walking on the planet now with us? And we yes, even... and I think there's people think that all aliens look the same. They do not. And uh, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there are some that look so much like us that, yes, they can blend right in. Um, and you wouldn't know that they're not human. When do you think? I'd rather have one of those than one of those that looks like a reptilian. Right. I'm, hope big... <laughs> I'm hoping that eventually I'm going to get a guess that it's an alien that's totally humanoid. You know, that looks just like us. And, and well, keep guess, asking. You might get it. Maybe he or she will appear on the show. Uh, get the word out there. They might just decide to take you up on it. Yeah, that'd be great. When do you think we're going to get full disclosure, if ever? People, I think, are very foolish to think that the government on high is suddenly going to just spill this information out to us. They are not going to spill out any more than they absolutely are forced into sharing. And um, uh, that's how I think that uh, shows like yours um, websites like mine or books like mine, um, radio, sh TV shows, they're getting this kind of information out. That is the disclosure. The disclosure is coming from the ground up, not from on high. The big guys aren't going to say anything until we come banging on their door and they just can't ignore it anymore. Do you think that the ETs want to be known? I get mixed sig signals on that. Some of them, um, uh, according to people who are in contact with them, some of them think we simply aren't ready and they don't want it to be disclosed now. And so some of the clamp down on the information may actually be coming from the ETs or at least some of it. Um, I don't know if that, I don't know if I can totally answer that. Right. As I said, the question, I kind of figured, well, I already know the answer that they don't, otherwise they would have told us already. So it may be in their hands more than our, even our government. Right. If we go back to Antarctica and you said that there are pictures that look like there are cities there, that would mean that they must have been there for tens of millions of years, right? Most scientists today think that uh, Antarctica has been covered in ice for 34 million years. That means that these cities that are just now beginning to appear in the melting ice have to be at least that old. That makes them the oldest structures in the world. And for comparison, you know, most people think that the uh, Great Pyramid is so old, it's not even 5,000 years old. Compare 5,000 to 34 million. Uh, it's just an astronomical difference. And uh, that's one of the things that makes these discoveries really kind of exciting. Do you think humans evolved from apes, or do you think we were genetically manipulated from apes? No. I'm, we have been genetically um, messed with. 
I think we're here on an experimental planet. I think different alien races have had an input into life forms on this planet. Um, has some of the experimentation at some point in our history uh, been with um, um, apes? That's possible. But um, um, I think we're more like the creators from the heavens than we are the apes in the field. I just so thought, the behavior of a lot of people today makes you question what I just said. <laughs> I just saw something recently on TikTok, I believe. This person had this argument of why humans are not from Earth. That was pretty interesting. There's good evidence. There's a book. Um, oh, anyhow, I've heard that. And there's certain things, for example, um, we do not do well with the sunlight. Um, and there are other creatures that live on this planet who are obviously originally from this planet that have like an extra protection in their eyes so the sun doesn't bother them. Um, our, our skin burns. Right. Um, there's a lot of, those are two minor things. There's other reasons too uh, that look like maybe we aren't acclimated to really live on this planet. Right. That was one of them. Basically, it talked about it. Our skin was too fragile for this planet. Another one, which I found interesting, is that we most of the animals on this planet are on all fours, and we're a bipedal, and our and our backs aren't really built for this gravity. We have a lot of back pain issues here. We do, they do, and that's a good, that's a really good point. Where do we get your new book? On your website, on Amazon, or both? Uh, you get it from Amazon. All of my books, which I'll rattle off real quickly. Mm -hmm. The most recent one is Spy in the Sky. There's one, it's Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Uh, little people, Cherokee little people were real. And one that's totally different called Tangible Evidence of Jesus, Evidence Left Behind for Us to Find. So those are all available on Amazon and all unique in their own way. All of them uh, are in a large format. Um, all of them have lots of photos because I think photos help tell the story. If you just bog down in gray words, I think you lose a lot of people. And this makes this kind of information um, very digestible for uh, just about anybody. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? I update the website every week and try to stay up to date with things that are new and cutting edge. Uh, I don't want to just rehash stuff that you can find other places. Um, so that is an ongoing project that I have. Uh, and uh, for example, I just wrote an article today, which isn't posted yet, but it is evidence that um, uh, that sunken planet, uh, I mean, sunken continent of uh, Lemuria uh, was real. It's a different perspective than what I have in my book, uh, Spy in the Sky, um, and remnants of a very, very ancient civilization had been found in Micronesia, which is like out in the middle of the ocean. And uh, it, it seems to be just a remnant of something from a long time ago. What other research are you working on right now? I'm working on some Bigfoot stories because um, there's, there's always something happening with that one. Um, I always am looking uh, for things from the um, space shuttle or the space uh, station. And I found some more very strange things that have gone floating in front of the camera. So there's certain things that I monitor all the time. And every once in a while, I get lucky. 
the live feed from the International Space Station is one. Uh, there's live feed from the camera or the satellite camera that monitors the sun. Every once in a while, you get lucky with that. Um, then I cruise the planet with uh, uh, Google Earth, which I've already mentioned several times. So those kind of little detective projects are like ongoing. And every once in a while, I get lucky. Well, Mary, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? We just all have to be a little bit kinder to everybody. Um, I'm old enough to know when the world wasn't quite so mean. And we need to quit being so divisive and so hateful and so greedy. Um, some of the worst attributes of mankind are flourishing right now. And we need to counteract it with um, uh, some good positive energy. And if we could just simply be kind, the world would be a whole lot better. It's a great message. Mary, thank you for joining me today. I wish you the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.